You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. It's a pop culture Tuesday here on the Steve Day Show podcast on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And we would love it if you would join us. Here's how you can let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Speaking of CRTV, we just wrapped up production for today's television show, and I'm going to do the tease today, if you guys don't mind. It's all yours. Yeah. Uh, we are beginning a series for the month of May, and I'm, I've got three conservative luminaries, people that have huge um, influence, name ID, accomplishment within the conservative movement, and we're doing three, a three-part series, an interview with each one of these men on what is the state of conservatism in America today, heading into not just the 2018 midterms, but into the next generation. And the first of those interviews in that series airs today on CRTV, and it's with you could make an argument, who is right now the biggest name in conservative media, and that's Ben Shapiro from The Daily Wire. He joins us today on CRTV, and I'm going to ask all three of these men the same five questions so that I don't prejudice the sample whatsoever. They're all going to respond to the same five questions, and then you're going to get a chance to see their answers throughout the month of May on CRTV. Ben Shapiro is up first in the chair. Uh, that's today, CRTV.com. If you want to watch, promo code DACE. If you're not yet a subscriber, that's how you can subscribe. Promo code D-E-A-C-E to see me go mano y mano with Ben Shapiro on the state and future of the conservative movement. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. That won't just get you a discounted subscription to our program for CRTV, but every single show from uh, the great one Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame, all the way down the list. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Um, Pop Culture Tuesday. I don't know if you guys saw this breaking news earlier today. But it turns out, Cocaine Mitch and the Chinamen will be releasing their debut self-titled album, the announcement coming today, audaciously timed with the West Virginia primary tonight. And it includes a very gaudy, rainbow-colored album jacket. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet, but uh, they've even released a track list. So, you know, uh, Metallica had the self-titled Black Album. Remember that with the black cover? The Beatles had the self-titled White Album with the white cover. Remember that? Okay. Um, That's one heck of a cast shot right there of Cocaine Mitch and the Chinaman. But um, 
Here is the track list for their self-titled Rainbow album. Are you ready? First single is track one. First single off of this album will be The Swamp Monster Blues is sing, sing, is the first single. Is there banjo in that? I They haven't released it be. yet. But I, I think you can count on it. Yeah. I mean, this is a band that looks like it's full of some pretty mouths. Indeed. Drain Me is the next track. That could have multiple meanings. Pimpin' Ain't Easy, But It Is Necessary is track number three. Slush Fund, track four. Doing Lines is track five. You like that one, Todd? I do. I do. Okay. I like it all. <laughs> Capital Offense is, traps, is track six. Now, this is my favorite. I, I hope that it lives up to its title. Straight out of K Street is the next track. Chud. I'm not sure if that's a reference to Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, a classic late 70s schlock horror film, or if it means uh, something else, and the C stands for Chinaman, and we don't know yet what the other three letters stand for, right? Is What? No, no. Ben Carson's secretary of HUD. Correct. Not McConnell's wife. Mm. She is the interior or something, right? Transport- transportation. Well, no, she yeah. was transportation under... Bush. Okay. What is she? she I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, she won't report it. Is the penultimate track. Not exactly sure that's a reference to, but I don't work on Capitol Hill. Uh, the final track, "Forever," and you know, uh, Cocaine Mitch did an interview today with Morning Joe on what he is calling his favorite channel, and he previewed. He made a point to single this track out "Forever," saying that this is the band's first attempt at a real power ballad. And that, you know, the message of the song is um, they want their audience to know they're in this for the long haul and they're not going anywhere. So, Todd, your thoughts on the debut album forthcoming, Cocaine Mitch and The Chinaman coming out uh, later this year. Well, speaking of Metallica, that last one could be special if there's some orchestral backing to that. Um, I, I mean, I hope they go big, just large on that last one. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think this is... Um the Grammys uh, are, are going to have to have their ears perked up now, uh, the people who run that thing. There's no way that this cannot. Uh, just with the track list alone, I haven't even heard the songs yet. Uh, and this is this is on pace for, for uh, multi-platinum. Multi-platinum. You know what my phone is doing right now? When I am getting a phone call from the 202 area code, my iPhone is identifying it as, quote, scam likely. That is everything right now. <laughs> yes. yeah. That's everything. That that might be the best thing that's happening in my life right now. <laughs> it's when True news. <laughs> when that comes up, happened again this morning, man, I got another call from 202 and my phone identified it as scam likely. I'm like, I, I just needed that, man. I needed that. Thank you. See you walking around us. I'm on top of the world. I'm like Steve Martin in the jerk. My name just appeared yes, in the phone book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I am somebody. The universe is listening to my laments. You get me, phone. Thank you. All right. So we've all, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. We've all had a chance now to see the Avengers Affinity War, right? Yep. Yes. All right. Let's, let's do, let's talk about it just strictly as a movie for a second. Because we're going to spend the bulk of this podcast, because it's conservative review and not movie review, we're going to spend the bulk of the podcast talking about the worldview of the film. 
But let's spend a few minutes, and we warned you last week. You had your spoiler warning last week. We will do it one more time. If you're one of the seven people on this planet that have not seen this movie yet. All right. I was one of them until yesterday. That's why we were at eight. Now we're down to seven. Thank you. All right. So uh, if you're one of the seven people on this planet that has full motor function and has not yet seen this film. All right. uh, This is going to be loaded with spoilers more than likely. So you've been warned. We'll give you to the count of three. One, two, three. All right. Now, if you're still here. And, and you get spoiled, it's a you problem. You were warned, all right? But I want to do, I do want to spend a few minutes because we're all fanboys to varying degree. And we have a lot of fanboy listeners around the country. Reviewing, let's do a, a review of the film itself before we get into the worldview of the film. Aaron, let me start with you. Yeah, I thought it was the best superhero film since The Dark Knight. And the only reason The Dark Knight uh, edges it out in my mind just a little bit is because um, for this is the literally the only reason I liked everything else uh, about the film. Dark Knight can stand on its own a little bit more, but I thought it was just fantastic. So many great m- moments. Um, you only have to be moderate. Uh, you, I don't think you even need to be super well versed in uh, the Marvel lore to be able to enjoy this film from a, a pure cinematic popcorn standpoint. It, it does definitely help to follow along, and I realized I was a little bit behind. But purely as a movie, I thought it was just fantastic. It was fun. Uh, it was uh, it was everything you want a superhero movie to be. And what I love about this movie, actually, is the good guys actually lost. And it wasn't contrived. And that's not, it's not like I, I love it when the good guys lose, but it's a sign of a good story mm-hmm. when they don't always come out on top. Todd? Yeah, and just to piggyback off it, the, the way they lose, because it, it's a fictional thing, the, the Infinity Stones, but you, some of us are more averse than others in how that is supposed to work, but still the, at the end of the movie when it, it seems like things have perhaps almost been salvaged in the way uh, that uh, they aren't because of the power of the stones and how that's done, uh, there's heft to that. There is cosmic mm-hmm. uh, weight to that. It was good. Again, I, I watch this movie and every movie that goes by I want you. You have a couple different reactions. You're re, you're reacting to the fact that my goodness, they did it again. I mean, this where how many movies in, and yeah. they managed to keep a powerful narrative going, and then within just the self-contained movie, just a powerful um, uh, emotional resonance coming from places I didn't expect. I, the uh, bet- uh, the uh, love story between Vision and um, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch. For considering that those two have been in about half of the series, and when they have been in it, they aren't the prime players. Uh, I, I was just the, the the last scene near the end of the movie involving them. Um, just just incredible movie making. Um, incredibly powerful. Um, it, it was um, it was a it was a thrill. I mean, that's why you make movies, right there. And then again, for it to con- continually be relevant, and that's where you're going to go. But these movies are always relevant to our lives. They are, they are a simultaneously escapism and a commentary on who we are right here and now. I agree with everything both of you said. Aaron, I want to go to what you said. I like the distinction you draw between this film and The Dark Knight, and it's the right distinction. Um, if you are moderately aware 
of who Batman is and and most Americans are to some degree. Uh, That's not... It's a sequel to Batman Begins in that Batman is now a real thing in Gotham City and this is the next chapter in his life. But you didn't have to see three seconds of Batman Begins to walk out of the Dark Knight and say, that's just a great movie. Forget it's about a superhero. Forget it's about a crate. That's just... I mean, it is... It's... It's it's the Godfather, it's of, of superhero movies. It's that good. It's a flawless, perfect film that stands on its own. That has a wider audience, I think, than even this one, mm-hmm. because you don't have to be so steeped in the lore. I agree with you on that. I also agree with you. I think it's the best film Marvel's done because of this. I think as a standalone film, The Winter Soldier is the best movie Marvel's made for all the reasons you just articulated, Todd. How it talks about who we are, the contemporary themes, the the debate we were having in the country at that time between liberty and security, and how each side is shown to, to have, you know, their, their views are shown without being contrived, without being demagogued, without being gaslighted. Each side's views are objectively portrayed and Captain America is kind of caught in the middle of these two views, right? And, 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 he, and, and, he, and it breaks him because he realizes the fact we're having this debate means the America that we were, you know, when he was a kid growing up, pre-baby boom generation, it just, it doesn't exist anymore. And it may not be possible to exist in the kind of world that we live in today. And so we see that angst through him as he's trying to maintain his integrity and maintain his patriotic mission as he's torn between these two impulses tugging because they each want him to be their symbol, right? Because they recognize he's a power. If he's their symbol, then they win the argument. And there's, there's, it's so layered there. And it's 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 like a '70s French Connection kind of film. It just happens to be about you know a Marvel superhero. But the reason why I would rank this one number one is because I think this film may have been the toughest task in modern cinematic history. One possible exception is when you're Peter Jackson and you're adopting and adapting maybe the most treasured volume of fiction books of the of the century. And you're adopting and adapting them into a motion picture. I mean, Lord of the Rings has influenced everything from Led Zeppelin albums to how many other, um, you know, adventure, fantasy, sci-fi. Sort, sort of as Star Wars is sort of a benchmark for there's science fiction before Star Wars and there's science fiction after. And that's sort of what Lord of the Rings is to the fantasy world. I mean, hell, it even inspired one of the other great fantasy series and, and the Chronicles of Narnia were inspired by this. All right, the burden that you take on accepting a mantle like that and for the way Peter Jackson delivered what I think when you take those three films and put them as one volume is the greatest cinematic triumph of my lifetime I I think it's perfection he's the only person I think with built in expectations to make a movie like with the Russo brothers had here even more so than J.J. Abrams and Star Wars I would make the case that that really wasn't a tough mantle to take at all People were burned out on what George Lucas had done to the prequel trilogy. He was given, essentially, a blank slate. He could write any storyline that he wanted. He could create any characters that he wanted. He was not boxed in that he had to, they had to follow these formalatic steps. The Russo brothers were. 
mean, they're doing the culmination. It's been a ten since since Tony Stark came back home after defeating Obadiah Stane, and he walks into his Malibu home, and Nick Fury is sitting there, and he hands him the folder that says Avengers Initiative. That was ten years ago, May of two thousand and eight. This has been a ten-year buildup to this plot line, and they didn't have a bunch of free reign to do whatever they wanted to do. They had to fulfill everybody's fanboy wishes, dreams, and then they had to do it in a way that it wasn't contrived. You know, that was the big worry when the first Avengers film came out, right? How are you going to make a movie... Because we all remember the last... Remember the original Batman movies and when they put in all the multi... Remember the one with Poison Ivy, Bane, and, and, and Batgirl, and Mr. Freeze, and you're like, come on, guys. Seriously? Really? Okay, we can't put all these people in one movie. It's it's schlock and it's congested. They pulled it off with the first Avengers. This movie is that film on a hundred different yeah. measure scale. All right? And everybody gets a hero moment. It's not contrived. When you look at James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxies as a totally different vibe than the Captain America movies, which have a totally different vibe than the new Spider-Man series, which is even made by another studio, has a totally different vibe than the Iron Man film. They, they, the way they mix it all together and the brilliance of, of telling the film through Thanos' eyes is, is what that does is, A, now you get to see the backstory of who the villain is. And B, it alleviates some of the pressure of feeling like, you know, we got to count screen time for this guy, this guy, that guy. Because now that Thanos is the sun, it's easier to put the rest of the planets in orbit around him. And they did it masterfully. I I thought it was a masterpiece the first time I saw it. When I went and saw it the second time, and now I'm looking for, I'm looking for, well, here's what, I was more impressed with the movie the second time. Um... I didn't even talk about what they did with Doctor Strange. The the way they the way they break the characters off into their own little sub stories mm-hmm. and they paired them perfectly. If you know the comic books, Tony Stark and Stephen Strange's personalities are these guys are way too self-aware of how good-looking, cool, and smart they are. Putting them together so that the room isn't big enough for both of their egos, perfect perfect the way they the way they did everything sending thor off with uh the rabbit the rabbit okay (laughs) um the teenage groot okay um i I mean the entrance that thor makes at the battle of wakanda which is basically helms deep my favorite Mm -hmm. moment i mean i mean this was the first time you thought that's your norse god right there Okay, everybody gets a hero moment. Wakanda is basically Helm's Deep. I sort of build it as a cross between Empire Strikes Back and the Lord of the Rings with Marvel superheroes. Because you, you're right. You know, the Empire Strikes Back doesn't end with a happy ending, and neither does this film. And um, I, I think, I, given the expectations they had going in. To actually, I think, exceed the expectations I had for it, I would have told you, we'll be lucky if it's as good as we hope that it is. It's better than I thought it was going to be. And I think it has a lot of very profound things to say. And that's where we want to go next. Thanos, his driving impulse. Now, in the comics, Thanos is driving impulse to obtain the Infinity Gauntlet, to anoint himself essentially small g god. And to snap, he does snap his fingers, just, in the, just like in the movie, and to eliminate half of life on, on in the universe. In the comics, his motivation is very a very basic instinct. 
He falls in love with death. And what's the best way to woo death? Create the greatest cosmic scale of, of event of death in history of the cosmos and win her affections that way. He does this to impress her. If that was in this movie, no. Agreed. You cannot have all of the contemporary themes Marvel has addressed and then just have, you know, this space monster who just wants to win some other other dimensional... No, you're right. That wouldn't work. Okay? So what they did is they turned Thanos into the living manifestation of Malthusian ethics. He is Margaret Sanger as a supervillain. Now, I'm... We had this conversation last summer with Wonder Woman. We've done it that podcast a few times. Don't need to rehash it. I just, I cannot believe there's all these clear parallels. And these filmmakers and and, and lefty Hollyweird just are so ignorant, they're not aware of it. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe that. Remember, this footprint started with Josh, Joss Whedon. Yes. an arch liberal. Yes. Arch leftist. But Joss, Joss introduced Thanos as sort of the Phantom Menace behind the first Avengers mm-hmm. film. He never got into his motivations. This is mm-hmm. The Russo brothers are the first people to address his motivations. And the motivation is Thomas Malthus was a quack cleric from what the 18th century that was, was convinced the world would run out of food at the way it was populating. Basically, he was Pete Seeger at Harvard. That, that's basically what he was. And so he avid, he had singer, you mean? Is huh? that Pete Singer? Is or, or, that? Yeah, or Singer. Did I say Seeger? Seeger, yeah. Right. You know what, dude? I've been yeah. jamming to Bob Seeger yeah. recently on Amazon <laughs> Music. Thank you for correcting me on that. Yes, Pete Singer. Uh, he, he believed in what he called preemptive and, pro, preemptive and positive consequences, or what Malthus called them. Pre-empt, pro, positive consequences were he was a fan of war, famine, and death because it was just a, a herd thinning. Now, what makes Malthus particularly chilling and particularly wicked is he threw the, he's posited, he posited these theories pre-Darwin. In fact, Darwin, in his autobiography, dedicated his life's work to Thomas Malthus. All right? So this is before natural selection, you know, we, the, the, you know Nietzsche, Marx, all the, all the various form, all the various paragons of what is modern progressive thought that all had got, Darwin was all their spirit animal. He was their, he was the, the, the mouth of the river for all of them. They were mere tributaries off of his descent of man. Darwin credited his work to Malthus. And Malthus was convinced that we would run out of, we would, we would have too many mouths to feed and we, did, and we couldn't make food and the economies would collapse. And so we had this ethical system and it was driven by what he called positive and, and preemptive uh, consequences. Preemptive consequences or positive consequences were war, famine, and death were a good thing because in his view, that was the way God thinned the herd. Very Byzantine, draconian view of God. This is, this is not, Malthus, this is why I call him a quack cleric even though he used to use Bible verses. Malthus is not describing the God who leaves 99 behind impractically to find the one lost sheep. Malthus is, is giving you utilitarian ethics. He's saying, why would you leave 99 behind to go find one, take care of the 99, the ones on his own? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. That's what Malthus would say. So he was okay with war, famine, and death. He thought that you know, God just allowed us those things to happen because we had to thin the herd. That's how we got the population down. Then he suggested what he called preemptive consequences. 
or tactics. And some of these we would be in favor of. For example, he was a, a huge fan of sexual restraint, um, abstinence and, until marriage, things of that nature. But um, the stuff he said about the feeble-minded, breeding, um, certain races, savages, right out of the eugenics, Margaret Sanger, Hitler, Nazi playbook. And you know I hate Nazi references because 99% of the time they're intellectually lazy. But you know what? 1% of the time when it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know what we're going to call it, guys? We're call it a duck, okay? There's a reason why future Nazi scientists were speaking at Margaret Sanger's eugenics conferences in the 20s. That's the same philosophy. This Malthusian, and so this notion of the world running out of food, by the way, here we sit 300 years after Malthus almost, and we have the lowest poverty levels worldwide in human history, the highest literacy rates worldwide in human history. So Malthus was only wrong about everything. That's all. Only wrong about everything. But it gave birth to this new ethical system that became known as Malthusian ethics. That's what that means. If you've heard that phrase, you're like, what is that a reference to? I just told you. And Darwin cited Malthus as his inspiration in his autobiography. And Darwin and his descent of man was really the inspiration behind Nietzsche, Marx, Sanger, the paragons of the formation of modern American Western progressive thought. Those are their spirit animals. And you really have Malthus to thank for sort of being the original inspiration. That's exactly the impulse that drives Thanos in this movie. Early in the film, Loki looks at Thanos and says, you will never be a god. And Thanos uses the line you hear in the trailer when he says, when he, when he, says, when he talks about destiny arrives. Run from it. Destiny arrives. And it's here. I guess you could say, I am here. What do you think that's a reference to? Yahweh. Yeah. I am. I am. Now, who else says that? Who else uses that kind of language? The devil. I will be like the Most High. Ye be like God. Later on, Thanos talks about the fact he's the only one that knows the truth. He's the only one that has the will to act upon the truth. So he, now he's making the theory of the enlightened bureaucrat, the enlightened elite. That's right out of whose playbook, guys? That's progressivism. The enlightened bureaucrat, the enlightened elite is the priest, of, is, is the priesthood of the progressive religion. He is convinced that the universe cannot handle all of the beings, and so half of them have to go. At one point he is asked, if you get this gauntlet and accomplish your wishes, what will you do next? Basically his answer is, I'm going to go home, chill out, and watch the sunset on a grateful universe. I'm doing you a favor. I'm relieving you of your suffering. See, in the Christian ideal, God relieves our suffering by suffering on our behalf. And then once once that covenant with God is renewed through Christ, Christ then calls his followers to bear the burdens of one another, to suffer for other people. You know, a nun in Calcutta, India, for example. 
being willing to suffer for others, to carry someone else's burdens, to suffer for God, for what you believe. And the disciples counted it all joy to suffer for the name. That's right out of the book of Acts. In the progressive model, suffering is inflicted upon you. Suffering is used to alleviate suffering. We make, other, we make you suffer so that other people don't have to suffer later. It's inflicted upon you. It's not something you voluntarily take on in order to bear the burdens of another. Instead, others' burdens are passed on to you. Wealth redistribution, for example. Intersectionality. Certain classes rank higher. Certain classes have suffered more, so therefore they get to now pass their suffering on to you. And it's punishment, reparations for your privilege. This is Thanos' driving influence in the film. It's indistinguishable. You know, that's why I wrote a column this week. Who said it, Thanos or Margaret Sanger? The, their lines are indistinguishable from each other. Their worldview impulses are indistinguishable from one another. The ultimate big bad, the greatest experiment in modern cinema, a shared cinematic universe, 10 years in the making, culminates in its ultimate big bad is the very embodiment of leftist progressive ideology. And he's doing you a favor by doing this to you, of course. Right? What is Ebony Maw, the Black Order, the, son, the, the children of Thanos, his assistants? What do they say to the Asgardians as they're killing them in cold blood at the beginning of the film? This is your salvation. Go look at some of the comments the leftists were making during Alfie Evans. He, we're relieving him of his suffering. Let him die. Why, do you, why don't you want this creature to die? Hasn't he suffered enough? Isn't that, isn't that not their language, Todd? That's exactly. That's the driving impulse of Thanos in this film. That is his driving influence. I, just as I said last summer with Wonder Woman, this can't be a coincidence. Are they really so ignorant over there that they really didn't know? Are there more people out there in Hollyweird that get it than we think? And, and just, as, just as Sir Thomas More realized he couldn't take his former protege, Henry VIII, on straight on, because he'd just burn him at the stake, right? So he wrote a book, Utopia, where he wrote a parody. And essentially, people kind of knew who he was panning, kind of knew who he was parodying. But it's how he kind of got around a full frontal assault on a ruthless, bloodthirsty king. Are there more people in Hollywood that get what we are doing here than we think? And they just don't want to put up with their own social justice warrior mobs. They don't want to get glitter bombed. And so just as Sir Thomas More used Utopia to write a biting commentary on what was happening in his country at the time. Is that... Is that what they're doing here, do you think? Are they using these superhero characters to tell stories that they probably couldn't get these movies greenlit if they placed them in the real world and, and, and had real world people acting out these moral themes? Because they, this can't, they can't be this, la this totally unaware of their own belief system. They can't be taught. Mm, I think 
I think there's something there. But I also think that there is something about these comic book movies that I you I don't think you can do them well. I don't think they know that. I just think they ought, the thrust of the superhero, uh, the demigod, uh, uh, the great cosmic tale, I don't think... There's no way to do them and make them good on any level in one movie, let alone the tour de force of however many movies there are in this thing, if you don't use the classic themes. If stand on the shoulder of giants. It's the only way to tell them. I mean, and they I, can't tell a good story. They can't help but use our themes to tell a good story because our themes are just simply observations of history. Observation of history and just flat out ultimately true again cosmically at the core of what a good story is so i i think it's partly what you're saying but i think the other half is simply they it is the gift of and one guy after i got out of the movie i simply tweeted my one tweet my thoughts and one of uh, one follower got back to me and said it's it's a it's a it's a cartoon who cares it looked like middle-aged man. I was like, man, you know, as the Lord uh, chastised his followers or, uh, for one did say, hey, he's talking about you and he's not one of us and stop doing that. It's, and a, he it's said, more than a cartoon. It's a parable. Yeah, and, this, and, the, and they said, hey, hey man, he, he's with us. You know, it's all good. You know, we're not, we're not shouting that down. Um, it's, it's the same here. Uh, I, I, I really think, I mean, you can make a really bad comic book movie. You can make one that really is just bubblegum. But these comic book movies that have decided to comment on real life, I, who's, who's, how many people saw that, the, the one about atheism? I don't even remember the name of it. You know, the one with the, the polar bear and the... the, the, the uh, oh, the Golden Compass. Golden Compass. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, it flamed no, out. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares. Had but major the, stars, Nicole Kidman, yeah, yeah. Daniel Craig ran it, flamed But this, it, you, if you, if you want to do this well, there's only one way to do it well, and that is to ride the great cosmic wave that is God's truth, ultimately. Aaron, yeah. you get the last word. Yeah, there are formulas. Great stories don't just happen out of uh, out of thin air uh, most of the time. Um, even if they do, even if you have an idea for a story and you write it down, usually what makes that story good uh, fits into an identifiable formula. And so it's not like these guys are just stumbling upon great stories or just happen to be writing... Uh, great stories. There is a formula behind how they how, how they construct these stories, and I think Todd's point to um, you can't help but tell uh, our narratives and our themes in good story because all of the best uh, stories are born out of conservative or Judeo-Christian uh, values. So I, I, I think you can be a great, tremendous storyteller and not necessarily be cognizant of the fact that the story you're telling is our story. I think you can just be an objectively good storyteller and just write, and I, again, write those good stories. You have to be trying if you are a good storyteller otherwise. You have to be trying to taint it with some other worldview or some other um, 
agate prop. And usually that's so easily identifiable that like Golden Compass and many others, it bombs in the end. Well, if you've seen the film, we'd love to know what you think about what we think. And we may even do a follow-up podcast with some of your thoughts on what we just said about Avengers Infinity War in a future Pop Culture Tuesday. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Don't forget the program on CRTV coming up later on today. Ben Shapiro from The Daily Wire will be joining us on the state of the American conservative movement. Thank you for clicking subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. If you haven't done that yet, please take two seconds to do so. It really helps us to get the word out about our podcast. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.